Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S, Let's Do Humans, one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people. What's okay, Hakim? How are you doing? Doing good. How about you in good old England? Oh man, I'm good. Um, apart from not being able to go to the barbers and cut my hair, um, everything's been good. I'm just sticking by the rules and staying home and staying healthy and fit. Good, good. Yeah, good. I mean, you're you're right in the middle of the epicenter. How is it over there in New York? Uh, I think we're probably at the end of the big tail. Okay. So probably things will start coming down in a week or two, and I think they will reach a steady state. Oh, fantastic to hear. Um, well, before we get started, I'd first of all like to give you a big massive thank you for taking your time off of your extremely busy work to be with us here at Let's Do Humans. Um, so this is a podcast which aims to inform and educate a fairly young audience on various important matters and cultural changes across the world, and in particularly um, England, London, UK, where I'm based. Um, I know you're really busy at the moment with what's currently going on in the world with the pandemic that we're currently facing, so I truly appreciate your time and for you to appear on the podcast. Um, now, before we get started, would you mind just telling my audience a bit about yourself like your background and what the type of work that you do sure uh you know my name is Hakim Jabala I actually lived in England for many years so oh, I, I am the Manchester United supporter oh wow <laughs> I'm an Arsenal supporter so a bit of rivalry well, we have we started on the on, we, we we started already with a problem there <laughs> I don't like the Gunners uh, I know just <laughs> Uh, I actually lived in uh, the Midlands a lot between Stratford okay. and Birmingham and then moved to Leicester where I did my studies mm-hmm. and then left uh, for the United States. So my work is really on drug discovery and development is how do we go about identifying and developing a new drug to treat disease. Yeah. And uh, this job typically is done by pharmaceutical companies, but most of the research starts in academic research labs where people, they, they will do what we call tinkering with biology. Yeah. And you find some good observations, then the companies can take them and develop them into a drug that's going to help everyone or into a vaccine that's going to help everyone. Yeah. So I spend a lot of my time doing this. My uh, expertise is in three areas, is antibacterials, all the bacteria, we want to kill them. Yeah. antiviral, all the viruses like this one who recently visited us, and of course oncology, and uh, my uh, uh, my heart is always with oncology, yeah. a lot of people uh, actually uh, uh, getting cancer, whether young age, old age, all over the world, and we are always in a race with no time to find uh, not just cures, but we want to make sure that those guys get better, but with a very good quality of life. Right. So fantastic. In a nutshell, that's that's what I do. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic catalog of pretty impressive work that you're doing, which is vital work for, I mean, for the, the, the survival of the species and for our general health as well. So really appreciate that. Um, so to cover that big elephant in the room, would you mind just briefly telling us what is the coronavirus exactly? The coronavirus is is uh, well this this particular one who who which visited us yeah. I think uh, he uh, they 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 belong to a family a large family of these viruses and they are like in small subfamilies and one family we call them the alpha coronaviruses and uh, these viruses don't harm them they don't harm us humans they never harmed us. They actually live with us indirectly because they they typically infect our livestock, you know, cows, sheep, uh, etc. And the only danger they pose is to those animals. From time to time, there'll be mm-hmm. some infection or deaths. The other subfamily called the beta corona virus family 
again, it's a family that doesn't like humans. They like to live in wild animals in mm. very, very remote areas, and they don't like to be disturbed. So think of them during our podcast as either ants mm. that have their nest underground or uh, bees or uh, bees that have a big nest. Yeah. And imagine yourself with a stick trying to disturb either of them. So mm. at some point, you're going to really upset them and they will all come out. Uh, as, 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 as this planet is changing, so we have problem of climate change, we have problem of this rapid development that people would do, and then we have this critical problem that's touching the ecosystem, this deforestation, yeah. where people want to burn these forests for the only purpose to make money, uh, to build a new building, so they have cattle there. And from time to time, these people end up being the stakeholders poking at these nests. Yeah. And what happened in China is not the first time. Right? Actually, nature somehow has been warning us for about 20 years. The first time that we disturbed the nest of this beta coronavirus was in 2002, again in China. Yeah. And it's a virus we call SARS-CoV. And that virus caused havoc around the world. And it took us about two years to get rid of the damn thing and about a year of a safety zone to say there are no, no new cases, the virus is gone. Yeah. Uh, the second one came in 2012 in Saudi Arabia uh, called MERS. And that virus remains a mystery because there are not a lot of bats in the desert. So we don't know how this virus made it from animal X into camels and decided to use a camel as a reservoir. So anytime you are around camels in somewhere in the Middle East, you may have a chance of being infected because that whole area is still endemic. And about a few months ago, we got another one from the same family because China has been developing like crazy. They have been causing so much damage to the ecosystem, deforestation, new buildings. And one, one thing they did is they moved these people who are very happy living in the wild, isolated farmers away from everything else. So they took them from a habitat they know and they brought them to live in large cities and they destroyed the habitat they knew. At the same time, they poked at these nests and they disturbed this virus because these people, when they moved to the big cities, yeah. somehow they did not abandon their traditions. And these mm. people like to eat wild animals. Yeah. And to them, it's either food because they can't afford anything else, or to them, it's some um, delicacy that they must have from time to time. And then my guess is, Along those ways, uh, this virus always try to mutate. So my best example is imagine uh, someone having a key ring with a thousand keys in one lock. Yeah. And they spend a day or two days trying every key until <laughs> they want to open the lock. Yeah. And this virus found the key. So yeah. the first infection, what we call patient zero, is really important to us because we want to know what is the key that the virus used to actually infect us. So as soon as that happens, uh, if we are not very quick at stopping it, mm. afterwards, you can't. Yeah. So you're, for your audience, imagine an oil spill. So when the oil yeah. spill happens, everybody rushes to contain the spill. Yeah. So we want it to go everywhere. But if those people are not fast enough to catch it, after a week or two weeks, the oil will go everywhere. And then to try to contain it and clean at the same time would be very, very hard to do. Yeah. And that's exactly what we are living today. It's like an oil spill that people ignored for some period of time. And now they're having a hard time containing it. Yeah. But um, so I had a really interesting question from um, someone on social media when, when, I, when I put up the... Um, the questionnaire regarding me speaking to you on the podcast about the um, pandemic. And they said, be living in this current age that we do, we have vast technology, we have people of immense intelligence, constantly researching and looking into um, and pandemics and, and um, the transition of viruses from animals to humans. How do we then allow it to spread so vastly across the whole globe? 
when we're supposed to be such an intelligent species? You know, it's a very good question. Many people ask me that. And my, my simple answer is twofold. I think the first fault we have as, uh, as uh, the human beings living on this planet, we have developed so fast that people boarding a plane today is like people boarding a train, a double-decker train in yeah. central London. It yeah. became, it's no longer a novelty and there is this air traffic that's tremendous every day of the year. So if a virus is in one place and the virus can't move unless we humans move. Yeah. So if we move, we bring the virus with us. Mm -hmm. If we don't move, we don't bring the virus with us. So uh, my second fault is if China as a country was very smart to realize that this virus is start causing havoc in China, China should have asked the rest of the world to close their borders. Yeah. So if China closed its borders in December 2019, we will not be having this conversation today because yeah. there's a pandemic. But because China, uh, we don't understand yet why they did that, and also, we have another organization called the World Health Organization. Yeah. And countries such as America and the United Kingdom, we pay them a lot of money. They have this budget of $2 billion for the sole purpose of protecting us from these pandemics. Mm. They can afford to have teams and they have offices all over the world. So they should be like the buoys we put in water to give us warning signs about tsunamis. Yeah. So the job is really to do that. But they did not. They failed yeah. us. And there are many, many, many articles from very good journalists coming out questioning the conspiracy theory that they are complicit with the Chinese. Yeah. So because of this too, because of our development with airplanes mm -hmm. and this diplomatic nightmare, because we have this global economy that's interlinked, it became very hard. If you stop this, you affect this. If you let this, you affect this. And what happened? No one did anything until it was too late. Too late. So, yeah. Um, I, I was following quite closely um, the, um, the the instructions that were being given out by who the World Health Organization in China, and initially there was a lot of confusion in regards to whether it had human to human trans, um, transition in terms of the virus transmission, and um, that caused a lot of issues, especially in regards to closing borders as well. The WHO was initially advising America and most of the world to not close their borders; they wouldn't cause any issues. And I think the delay in the time frame of China also giving out information. I think there was like a week or two window or possibly even longer, which would have caused significant decline in the amount of people um, infected and killed by the virus as well, which is a major issue, which hopefully will get looked into further once all of this is done, because it's, it's played a vital part in the havoc and chaos and death that this virus has caused. Um, what, what makes this virus so strong, though, compared to other viruses and, and flu seasons and bacteria that we have? So, uh, so all, all viruses are just opportunistic. Mm. The only thing they want to do is they want to survive and they want to stick around. So they're like ants in their nest. Mm. So if you don't disturb them, they're not going to come to you. And because we have disturbed them, we have told them that the uh, uh, homogeneity of the nest where they are happy working with their queen Mm -hmm. uh, disturbed it. So now, now they are out there saying we need to find an environment where we can create our nest again. Mm -hmm. And the best environment to do, we don't know. And because we don't know, we're going to keep mutating. We're going to look for new keys, mm -hmm. better keys than the one we have, to be able to identify what's going to be our new nest. So yeah. from, a, from a scientific perspective, we call it the new reservoir where they're going to live. Yeah. And we are not going to be their, their uh, reservoir. They're not interested in mm. us. They are just using us because we are moving. And yeah. they, because we are taking them from A to B, most likely they'll find their new nest by the time they get to B. Yeah. So, so every virus has a fingerprint, the same way that we have our fingerprints. And when we do genetic analysis, 
we know that this fingerprint belongs to you as an example, not to me. Mm. And this virus left China with your fingerprint. And when it arrived in Europe, especially in Italy and uh, in the Middle East, uh, in Iran, uh, ends up having my fingerprint. Mm. But we look alike, but we are both humans. Yeah. So, so, so that means that it affects people differently based on where it hits. The demographic is quite specific. It means the mutation of the virus has changed. Yeah. And because the mutation of the virus has changed, this virus maybe has three keys now instead of one. Wow, and because yeah. it has three keys now, it knows that it can infect you faster, but in the mind of the virus, it doesn't want to kill you. But because it infects you too fast yeah. for you to realize, it actually makes you sick and kill you. Yeah. And we call this adaptive mutations. So, uh, you know, we started with one fingerprint from China, and I believe today around the world there are five or six different fingerprints circulating. So oh, wow. there are five or six viruses of the same family, but they look slightly different. Yeah. They are circulating, and they are much more aggressive because they have more than one key than the original virus that came from China. That's yeah. why it's patient zero, the first patient that was infected in China, becomes extremely critical for us to understand what is the key what is the first key that the virus found yeah in order to enter the body can you can you tell us a bit about the demographics of people that this virus tend to affect the most because if, if you look at the stats in regards to not just the people it infects but the people it really affects the most the ones that do get ill and end up in hospital it seems to be the slightly older population and those with um immune like immune compromises so can you break that down for us a bit yeah uh, uh, so, first of all, this virus doesn't have eyes or ears, so it yeah. doesn't know who you are and it can't hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. This virus is opportunistic. If yeah. you breathe it in, it will try to do its best with the key it has to mm -hmm. infect you. Uh, because as we age, everything about us kind of slow down, right? Yeah. So we can't run anymore. We walk very slowly. Sometimes it's hard for us to go up the stairs. And the same our immune system. So our immune system is our army. So yeah. the immune system, that's what protects us from everything else. So when you are young, you may have really strong immune system. And as we age, our immune system goes down. Mm -hmm. So it means when you are over 50 years old, not even 60, around 50 above, yeah your immune system is no longer very good. So, you know, the flu virus can infect you much easier than when you were younger. And any virus that will come to you, the virus will try to infect you because you don't have enough soldiers to fight this virus, you get infected easily. Mm. People who have other diseases, it means the, uh, the balance inside their body is not 100%. So when they get attacked, their immune system doesn't know what to do first. Yeah. Do they deal with the disease you already have or take the soldiers from there and, and point them to the new enemy? Mm. When this virus started in China, I think uh, the observation was this virus attacks elderly people and that's why elderly people died in China. Yeah. And everybody started to brace themselves that as this virus is moving around the globe, uh, the virus will kill elderly people. That's not really true. Mm. The virus infects everyone. But as the virus gets stronger by having more keys, it means it's deadlier than before. Yeah. So we see in Europe, in England, Belgium, you know, Italy, France, Spain, we're seeing deaths of very young people. Yeah. In the United States, you know, we saw deaths of babies, one year old. And because those people are not Superman, this virus will infect you. Infect you, yeah. If, if you are in the wrong environment at the wrong time, the mm. virus will infect you. And then your immune system will try to battle it. Sometimes it wins, sometimes it doesn't. Why? Because your immune system at that age is almost virgin. You haven't seen many diseases. Yeah. The, the diseases you kind of protected against are the ones from the vaccines that were given to you when you were a baby. Mm. So, so you, like you didn't get the flu, you didn't, 
get other uh, viruses or bacteria. So your immune system gets activated. Your soldiers are ready to, to battle. And then they stop and say, what the hell are we fighting? Yeah. And because of that, uh, it turns out into a bad situation. Your immune system turns against you. And that what kills you, not the virus. Not the virus. Um, so at the moment, because we don't have a vaccine or a cure um, or any s- treatment that's that's proven to be 100% um, um, active, is a good immune system the only way of fighting this virus? And how do we further develop our immune systems? Because I don't think that's something that's being talked about a lot. There's a lot of talk about just having a good immune system and being a healthy individual. But how do we improve and harness that good immune system? And is that the only defense mechanism we have at the moment? Uh, as, as we are talking now, I think there are many people looking at many drugs. Yeah. And there are some drugs that would work uh, very well for prevention and mm. early onset of symptoms. Mm. You know, this drug called the chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine yeah. being used malaria drug, right? in the UK, the, the actual malaria drugs. Mm. And, and what they do is they, they help boost the immune system. And mm. at the same time, they help reduce inflammation, but they don't work like steroids. So the worst thing you can do to an infected person is to give them steroids because basically you sign the death letter. Oh, wow. They are dead because they, t- you know, if you give them a lot of steroids, they become immunocompromised. Yeah. So they die. So back to your point about the immune system, the best recipe for immune system is you have to be happy and relaxed. Mm. If if you turn yourself into a doctor and every day you're reading what everybody else is saying, <laughs> yeah. try to make sense out of it, you're really stressing yourself. If you turn off your TV and you say, now I'm going to spend my time having a good cup of tea and with some biscuits and I'm going to read some books, you, you really relax your body and you have to be hydrated. When people get stressed out, they always forget to drink. Yeah. Because they think if going to the toilet will waste them a few minutes. That's not true. I think the more your body and soul are in balance, your body is comfortable. Uh, I am talking to you uh, in a very serious way, but I'm kind of a very big joker. Mm. Because the more you crack jokes and the more you laugh, the more your body is happy. Yeah, most definitely. And and, and, and and because of that, you prepare your, your, your immune system. And that's a natural way to actually balance it, is really to be happy. Yeah. Uh, many people ask me about multivitamins. You know, they are rushing to the shops, buying all these multivitamins. It doesn't make sense. You know, I, I keep telling these people, uh, the worst thing you can make is going to be the most expensive urine that will ever be excreted from your body. <laughs> Yeah. Because the only thing that, you know, you can take everything you want, it's all going to come in the urine. So it's going to be the most expensive one compared of having a cup of tea. Uh, What we are doing now is we have come to the realization that we have some good vaccines that have been used over many years that have a component called an adjuvant. And this adjuvant is very good at starting your immune system and telling your soldiers to wake up and be ready, perhaps in the future, not so far future, you'll be in danger. So you hear a lot these days about uh, people talking about using BCG as an example, because yeah. we've used it for hundreds of years, and it'll be a potential way of stimulating the immune system. So we are trying to do prevention by activating the immune system and letting our soldiers in the immune system ready to fight the actual virus. So uh, around the world right now, there is a race to do everything. But the one race I'm not holding my breath is for a vaccine against any of these coronaviruses. Yeah. I mean, aren't we still looking for vaccine for SARS? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's not. I think it's. It, you know. It's not because people didn't try. People tried, but as soon as the pandemic ends, mm. no one cares anymore. So they cut funding for research. Yeah. Governments cut funding for research. These companies say, well, even if I have a vaccine today, who's going to buy it? 
It has to be a government agency that's going to buy it. Mm. And and the third thing, these vaccines are really tough. Mm. And I tell you, 99% of the time is a failure. 1% is a chance. So you can imagine if today you are CEO of that company and want to do the right thing because you have a charter which speaks to the fact that you have to be socially responsible for your community, you don't take that risk because yeah. you, you're going to kill your company. Your company will go bankrupt. Yeah. I, I think there's, um, so they, they, they think that I'm kind of worried about at the moment because there's this constant thing being told to us about vaccine in 18 months, in 18 months, in 18 months. And whenever I've had conversations with people, I'm telling them, well, it's been years we've been searching for vaccine for um, SARS and we're still unable to find us. So this 18 month theory is something that we should completely just either forget about or stop looking into too much. But um, there was a point that you touched on, which is vitally important, which I like to reiterate to my audience, was the, the how fear can cause our immune systems to crash down. Because at the moment, there's a lot of news. We're being hit by statistics and figures 24-7. Every day is 800 people just died, 1,000 people just died, and we're constantly checking the rate of infections. And it's causing fear. Whenever you speak to people now, everyone's in absolute fear of their neighbours, they're absolute fear of their own family members. And... I personally think that's probably attributed to a lot of people's immune systems crashing and causing potentially their deaths through catching this virus and their immune system being compromised and not able to fight back. So relaxing and shutting off from the news and shutting off from looking at stats online. I mean, I'm, I'm a... I'm a a bad example of this because I'm continuously doing it, but I'm doing it because I'm trying to research for my podcast and I just like information and passing information out to people out there. But at the same time, it does cause a sense of like anxiety, which is really dangerous for the immune system. So as you said, we should try and relax. We should try and cut off from listening to the news if possible as much. But um, going back to the um, immune system, so do we, is, is there any evidence that we develop immunity to um, the virus? Is there a chance of us catching it again in the second or third wave? Or what is the um, evidence showing at the moment for that? Yeah, so uh, uh, you touched on one important point. I think mm. that I think, I think you listeners would, would appreciate because you have described the new norm. You yeah. have described what your life is going to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm going to be scared of everyone who's going to sneeze next to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I think we're going to see a new uh, social etiquettes being developed that we have never seen before mm. out of fear. Uh, now to the to the immune system. So I am personally, uh, when people ask me questions the same way uh, you said, uh, I have never been interested in the number of cases mm. because they have no information to tell me. I am not interested in number of deaths. They have no information to tell me. I'm interested in the number of people who recovered. Mm. Why? Because they have value. You know, if if one person recovers and uh, their immune system worked very well and they made these antibodies that now they are the anti-key to the virus, then mm. out of one person, we can treat two or three people. Yeah. So we can get them out of harm's way. So uh, what we see with this uh, uh, family of viruses, uh, there is two way our immune system fights it. Uh, for about 60 to 70% of the people who recover, and they go through hell. I mean, it's, it's like somebody's trying to drown you in your own pool. Yeah. That's how you're going to feel until you get out of that. Uh, they make some very good antibodies. It means... Uh, one part of our immune system works very well. They have antibodies in their blood. It means they have cells that are now primed and ready. Each time this virus shows up, they're going to just make tons of antibodies to go and attack the virus. Uh, and these people, once they recover, now they're protected. The virus is not going to go anywhere near them because they have the anti-key. Yeah. Uh, for the other 30 to 40%, unfortunately, the other part of our immune system attacks them. And uh, this part of our immune system just attacks and kills the virus, but it doesn't develop protection in the future. It means it's actually saving you now from harm's way to give you a warning. But uh, what I have seen, which was very interesting, both in China and Korea, when these people are, uh, deemed cured, they leave the hospital, 
they get infected within two, three weeks. Yes, yeah. And they come back to the hospital and they can't do much with them because they are afraid of the overreaction of their immune system. So they're really worried how you're going to treat them now because whatever you're going to give them, it can go either way. It can be really bad news for them. They're going to die of a heart attack or they're going to end up in the ICU with severe symptoms. And we don't understand in those particular people because some of them are all over the age group. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not like the elderly. You know, from time to time you hear that, you know, somebody was infected 110 years old and they're out. Yeah, I've heard those stories, yeah. And then, and then you say, well, is that really a miracle? And the answer, no, those people are jolly happy. You know, they have a glass of cherry after they, <laughs> before they go to bed. Yeah. And they have a certain routine which is completely stress-free because they don't care anymore. Yeah. To someone like you who's energetic for your podcast. Yeah. So you're really stressing yourself looking for this information. And is it bad? Is it good? Are we on the right track? Are we on the bad track? Yeah. And, and, and I think we, uh, uh, we get always to whether the immunity is an immunity to protect you today or is it a, an immunity that was just used to clear the virus, but it will not protect you at all? At all. Yeah. Um, do you think those stresses in the Western world is what's causing some of the deaths? Because, I mean, I, I looked at the figures for um, the UK just, just before coming on with you, and um, we've, we've hit like a major milestone today. It was over a thousand deaths. And in America, it's continuously rising, in particularly in New York, where you are. We, we live in a, um, a, a society which requires us to constantly be on guard, especially living in major cities. We're always in a rush for something. We're continuously working. We're under work stress. We're under financial stress. We're under family stress. Is that a major factor, you think? In um, I think... The, uh, I think both the UK and many European countries and the United States, uh, our politicians, unfortunately, didn't take this threat seriously until it's too yeah. late. Yeah. So, so the number of deaths that you're going to see, I think they're going to slow down because the original people who got infected and start becoming symptomatic, they're only showing up now. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and he, I think especially in the UK, Boris Johnson, he, he nearly killed all of you. Wow, yeah. It's actually interesting that he had to back down and go a different route. Yeah. Uh, and, and though he's, he, he's trying to kind of save his career as a politician, he got the virus as well. So I hope that now that he's out of harm's way, he will really understand before he makes drastic decisions, he has to involve the scientific community in the UK into a debate because the best thing to have is people telling you all different story versus a community that comes to you with same concise message. Why? Because no one has been in pandemics before. They don't know what to do. So everyone is just guessing. Everyone is having having a game plan that's not real. It's just a guess. Yeah. Uh, so what I have what I have observed is a lot of people suffer from, you know, apart from the hysteria, they start developing these anxiety attacks. Mm. Uh, and these anxiety attacks for some people, the symptoms are just like somebody getting a heart attack. And for other people, it's even worse because the temperature fluctuation in their body start giving them this high fever and cold chills. Mm-hmm. So imagine this person shows up at the hospital to be checked. So they have just an anxiety attack, yeah. but because the uh, a, a, a NHS is really stressed out to its teeth, mm-hmm. the, the doctor that's going to see this patient automatically thinks you have COVID-19. Yeah, does that, that skews the figures as well, doesn't it? It does. Uh, that's why what I'm saying is, is really no one was prepared for this. And the politicians were very, very relaxed about this because... I am sure Boris Johnson got a phone call from the Chinese yeah. uh, premier telling him, Boris, don't worry, we're taking care of business. <laughs> the virus will never make it there. Yeah. And, and I think on top of hysteria, this anxiety that people live every day, mm. it's even more affecting these people, like you stressing them really, really to their you know, hair line. 
Yeah. So you're not giving them a chance to even relax or catch their breath. So yeah. if they get infected, that virus is going to have a party. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, our initial policy was, um, I think he was going for herd immunity. And then the government just kept on reiterating the fact that we should just wash our hands and everything's going to be absolutely fine. And it's just another flu. And um, that, that kind of relaxed everyone initially because we didn't know how devastating it was. But then when we started getting a lot of the news out of China in regards to what's happening to their healthcare system and the rapid rises in death rates, then we started panicking because the numbers were gradually picking up here as well. So as you say, that initial policy possibly could have killed all of us had we um, continued it. Um, it's, Sweden is a very interesting, um, it's a very, it, it, what they're doing right now is fairly interesting. How dangerous is it? If you just mind just explaining to people what's happening in Sweden, because they're going for herd immunity, where they're only breaking down groups of 50, but businesses are open, restaurants are open, bars are open. I'm, I'm Swedish national, by the way, weirdly enough. I mean, I, I lived in Sweden for a while, so I still got my Swedish passport, but I'm a Londoner now. But um, what do you think they're doing? Is it, is it really dangerous? And what's going to be the result of the elapsed policies? I think, I think every, uh, every government, especially the leaders, when they are faced with a problem like this, mm. they're going to try to do two things. Mm. Uh, one is they're going to follow what everyone else is doing, mm. or they're going to look at their own situation, isolating it from everyone else, and they will make some considerations of why they are doing that. Mm. And most of the time, they're not going to tell you what those considerations are. Because you have to put at the back of your mind that a pandemic like this is very serious for the uh, national security of the country. Mm. Uh, and you have to take certain approaches because if people are panicking so much and they're all rioting out, then you can't send anyone to stop them because they are going to get infected. So you're really in a tough situation. For countries like Sweden, they have one of the best healthcare systems in the world. Yeah. And they have some very disciplined people there. And there are people who have, for many years, believed in vaccinations and in vaccines. So I am just guessing uh, because these countries will never give you their uh, plants, as it were, mm. that they feel that their country uh, has been keeping up with vaccinations. So most people are vaccinated, meaning the immune system is ready to operate. And they want to be able not to panic the country, but let this go and see what's going to develop out of it. Of course, they're going to see some case numbers. But for me, those numbers don't mean anything. Yeah. What I actually want to see is how many people recover. So, so far, if you look at their numbers, you know, they, they are not in what we call the red zone and they are not in the yellow zone. They are somewhere in between, but they are about, I would say, two, three weeks behind uh, the Netherlands now. Okay. So probably by the end of April, early uh, May, we will know. Yeah. And, you know, for you to get kind of comparison, so you have a baseline to compare, uh, you look at Japan, where for so many months now, Japan, who are very disciplined people, very this, very that. Mm -hmm. And then there was this big issue about the uh, Olympics, whether we keep it, whether we cancel it. And yeah. then the actual issue of actually we are seeing a rise in these cases because we are seeing the stresses of our hospitals. So we are bracing for something bad to happen here. Yeah, This virus does not behave like a normal virus. This virus found a new friend called bacteria. And now you have a double-edged sword because you think of it of a virus, it behaves like a bacteria. And we've never had an example of something that does the two things at the same time. Yeah. But data and the actual trends, if you will, that we're seeing outside are very confusing because all these models that people have done all the time they're all based on flu data because that's yeah. the only data they have to make a model. So we're kind of collecting the data live now. This is live research because we've never come across something like this before. Um, do you think the lockdown is working um, in terms of stopping the spread of the virus? Uh, the lockdown uh, is a must, whether mm. it's whether it's it's voluntary or <laughs> you have yeah. to really close it. It's yeah. a 
Yes. Why? Because when people move a lot, there'll be a lot of infections all over the place. Mm. But if you are the uh, virus detectives, you're going to be very confused mm. where to go, what to look for. If everybody's in their homes, whenever there is a cluster mm. uh, of infections, you know where it is, right? Yeah. So let's say we talk about London and this cluster happens in Hammersmith because you, because you locked it out. And, uh, and you know the area, so you can corner the area around Hammersmith and then take care of the virus once and for all because you can isolate the infected people out of circulation. So, so those people will never get on a bus to go somewhere else. They will never walk out to go somewhere else. They'll be isolated. Yeah. So they can't infect anyone else. If you don't do that, then people, they're walking all over London all the time all the hours, in and out of shops, in and out of takeaways, in and out of uh, pubs, it, then as, as a detective, you don't know anymore. You, yeah. It's very hard for you to do your job because you want to see, the only time you know where the virus is, is when you start seeing clusters of people getting infected. Yeah. Um, so in, in London, when the lockdown first happened, and it's still ongoing now, because right now we're in our bank holiday period, it's Easter here, as it would be in New York as well. So there's a lot of young people still out and about. Um, they, they're all over in the parks, they're some even having parties. We recently had a case where a footballer um, threw a bit of a wild party with a couple of his friends and he had to put out an apology. Um, can you give some advice to some of the young people who think they're invincible to this um, virus and also the damage that they're potentially causing to society by not adhering to the laws? I, th I, I understand young people. I was once one of them. I was <laughs> yeah. partying at You still are. You still look it. <laughs> yeah. But I think we have a danger. We have, uh, we have an enemy we can't see. Because we can't see this enemy, we don't know mm. who's infected and who's not. Mm. And the best way to protect yourself is to stay away from this social gathering mm. and really, really understand that even if you go there and you say, oh, I'm not going to cause harm, you're not going to cause harm at the party you go to. Mm. It's the harm you bring to your own house, to your parents, to your father, to your mother, brothers and sisters, and importantly, to your granny and grandpa. Mm. So you have to always think about that because if you are the infected one coming back to your home, infecting everyone else and then infecting the neighbors, then guess what? You cause a lot of damage. Even if you don't die, you will never be the same person again because you have so much regrets that you can never, never forget and your life will never be the same because you'll be depressed till the day you die because you were the reason that your parents died. So do yourself a favor, your parents a favor, stay away from partying. It's not going to kill you if you don't do it this year. Yeah. You can party all you want once this virus has left us and disappeared. Yeah, that, I mean, that's going to be some of the psychological effects that this virus is going to leave us with because there's going to be a couple of people who know that they potentially played a part in a family member um, passing away or being extremely ill. Um, what's also, and also the, the economic side of it as well. There's plenty of people losing their jobs all across the globe right now. The global economy is completely shut down. Um, people are being furloughed here in the UK, left, right, center. I know the employment rate in the United States is absolutely through the roof and it's, it's devastating communities, it's devastating families, but I, I believe that as a human race, it's something that we are going to overcome. Um, I mean, you can always revive the economy, but you can never really revive lives, as they say, and it's fundamental that we all play our part in that. Um, what are some of the physical effects of this? Because I was reading an article, which I was, I, I was unable to finish, but I, re I found out that um, the virus leaves scars in the lungs or internally. Can you emphasize, can you explain that a bit more to me? So uh, I'm going to uh, emphasize and explain it so your audience, especially yes, the smokers, mm -hmm. uh, they better understand because the virus is doing exactly what the cigarette does to you, whether yeah. it's the real cigarette or the e-cigarette. Mm. It's actually stressing out uh, these little uh, cells that help you get the oxygen called alveola mm. and alveoli. And when you smoke, you oxidize them and you kill them. 
and when those cells die, they become like a damaged tissue. We call it a lesion in your lung. Mm -hmm. So from time to time, if this, this lesion don't heal very fast, you get infected. So you develop pneumonia or you develop bronchitis or, or you develop all these problems. What the virus does, it does exactly the damage the cigarette does, but it's worse because what this virus want to achieve, this virus want to get into your bloodstream and it uses the lung because it has the key and then it starts digging. So the more it digs, it causes the same damage as, a, as, as a, a, the cigarette and then you get these scars, these lesions in your lungs. So if you go to the hospital and they do a CT scan on your lungs, they will find all these scars. Mm. But if you are a smoker, you have given them a new problem. Yeah. They don't know whether you're truly infected, infected or you are because you are a smoker that's why you have these lesions in your in your lungs yeah. and they think this is what many people should really understand that this virus will get to your lungs but if this virus makes it into your bloodstream the chances of you coming out of it unfortunately is very very low because it's going to attack your liver, it's going to attack your heart, and sometimes it even attacks your kidneys. Yeah, wow, that's essential information there. Um, on a bit more of an optimistic side, um, is, is there some sort of global timeline you think of when all of this will end based on your, your knowledge and history? Because uh, I know there's plenty of us that probably want to get back to watching football on our weekends now <laughs> or, or heading back out to bars and meeting family and friends. As long as the Gunners are not playing Man United. <laughs> Next time we're playing, I'm going to give you a call. We're going to watch it live together. <laughs> Please do. Uh, I, think, I think we're still in the middle of the storm. Okay. Uh, I think I haven't seen... Uh, I don't follow numbers, as I told mm -hmm. you. They, really don't, they, they don't add any value to me. Yeah. I am more interested in trends and recovering people. And I think uh, I, I have not seen... Uh, the trends that I would look for uh, still in Europe. I think the state of New York, I think they have done a fantastic job that I am start being more, I think, carefully optimistic that probably New York, state of New York at least, will get out of this mess in the next month or two. Okay. The, rest of, uh, the rest of the United States, so, so you have to remember, this virus is always behind a week or two weeks. Mm. So... Uh, so, so when you see a fire in one uh, in one mountain, just look at the other mountain when you start seeing little sparks because the fire is actually coming there. Mm. And uh, here they didn't close the uh, the internal flights and people moving because mm. you know we 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 hear a lot about cases in other states where you know the only way they could have gone to those states because they don't have international airports are actually people taking internal flights out of New York. Mm. So now they are controlling this a little bit better. So for the East Coast of America, I think two to three months, my guess would be that at least New York would be under control. For the rest of Europe, uh, I am actually incredibly amazed at this two-week period this virus is doing, starting from Italy. Mm. You know, everybody said that it's going to go anywhere. And then it's kind of jumped into France and Spain because that's where people travel out on the south part. Yeah. And then they said it never makes it to Portugal. It's in Portugal. And then they said never make it to Belgium. It's in Belgium. And mm. they say Switzerland is safe. It's there. And it's heading north. So you see mm. it starts south and it's actually heading north. Yeah. And that's very, very scary. So the Scandinavian countries, they're an island. So yeah. unless somebody goes there, uh, either by sea or by air, uh, this virus can't swim. So it definitely is not going to go there. So they may be the best countries to watch to give you an indication. If things get really bad in Sweden, you know that whole Europe is going to be devastated. Yeah. And if, if you use Sweden as a reference and the way doing their things, it means whichever imported cases that arrive in Sweden because of their healthcare system, this virus is heading, having a hard time to infect and move about, you will understand that we stopped there. Mm. Now, how the rest of these countries are managing it. So the UK, uh, as an example, uh, Boris Johnson started with plan A, mm. fail. 
yeah. he turned plan B, he created more hysteria. Mm. So I think the time for people to psychologically recover will have an effect of how the rest of the population will behave with this virus. So for Europe, I really can't, I, I really can't, it's because Boris messed it up in one hand, the other people messed it up in the other. It's really hard. It's almost, it's like uh, we're trying to make the best curry there is, but we are leaving it to simmer, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's, you know, you know, the kind of the smell is nice, but we're not sure whether the the aroma is there yet. Yeah. Um, history tells us that humans are, we're, we're, we're very great at forgetting stuff. Um, as we discussed earlier, that there was research that previously started and we had the first SARS pandemic. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the virus disappeared, we completely lapsed and let ourselves go. Um, do you think we will learn our lesson this time around? And will there be changes into like scientific research and um, funds being put towards creating a vaccine or creating generally a better um, strategy towards pandemics and viruses in the future? I think uh, uh, I'm a little bit biased here uh, mm. because it's uh, a country that I am fond of and yeah. living there is South Korea. Yeah. I think South Korea were hit badly with MERS in 2015. Mm -hmm. They made worse mistakes than uh, our governments are doing now. Yeah. But they learned their lessons. So mm -hmm. when the new virus showed up, they were ready for it. Yeah. And because you like numbers, you can look at South Korea. Yeah. I think the rest of the countries, personally, I have no trust in China. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know, well, many uh, of us do anymore. Yeah. yeah, I have no trust in China. The other governments, uh, you have to understand, we have elected officials that go around in cycles of many years. Mm. Uh, and depending on their policies, because the one thing that's very important for this government from the global health, uh, public health perspective, is the ability to have offices dedicated to preparedness and warning. Yeah. Because now we know WHO has no value anymore. It has mm -hmm. no credibility. I think governments need to take that approach. And also, you said the magic word is because the virus is here, the government sometimes will open their checkbooks for research to universities and colleges. And as soon as the virus leaves, they take that money away. They have yeah. done many times mm -hmm. and I have lived it. And this is really bad. These funding cycles that comes with the virus and goes with the virus is really bad. So if governments can have a balance of research and maintaining research for the sole purpose, climate change and ecosystem, I think we'll be in a very good shape. At the same time, if, if they have this other component of preparedness and they are doing the job that the WHO failed to do, so each time something goes wrong and they get a sense of a virus is coming, then they will protect their countries. Yeah. Because I bet you next time, if they have these two components, if China sneezes, everybody closes borders. Yeah. One wants anyone to come in their country. Yeah, with immediate effect. I mean, um, Trump has been talking about um, withdrawing funding from WHO and and really thoroughly investigating um, their partaking in this and their relationship with China, which I think is essential, is required, because there's been catalogue of errors throughout from the start to the end of this. And those, in, those involved in this need to be looked into further. And also... Um, I was watching a video clip on YouTube recently, which was quite interesting, and it was the reopening of Wuhan. So yeah. the city's back on track now, supposedly, and the economy is back up running after 76 days of complete utter lockdown. Um, do you think the city is completely free of the virus? And what do you think of the opening of its borders again? How dangerous could that possibly be for China and for the rest of the world? Uh, I, I would really hope for uh, President Trump I don't like many of his policies, mm. but with respect to WHO, I think, number one, he was the first leader of the G7 mm. who decided to close the borders with China. Yes, he went against completely what... Boris Johnson didn't have the balls to do that, yeah. and now he's paying the price himself. I think the second thing, uh, to me, I hope, I wish that President Trump keeps the borders closed with China. Mm -hmm. The reason is, is simple. China told us a few weeks ago, 
they took care of business there are no new cases mm-hmm. how come these new cases are actually creeping up i was on a on a tv uh, uh show i did a, a small intervention mm-hmm. where they invited the spokesman for the chinese government while i was on the show being asked the same questions and this individual said i and i quote all cases we are finding in china are coming from travelers returning from the united states but there are not many flights going anywhere yeah and and afterwards he made the mistake of started telling us where these cases are within china so for me china still has the virus mm-hmm. and that's why if china is telling the truth and who are as clean as a whistles and they're not hiding anything mm. they can do one simple thing open the doors to foreign journalists to go to china to check for themselves yeah and don't control them yeah. and these journalists can take missions with scientists with them doctors with them to check what's going on and those guys can come back and say yes or ah we're not too sure what they are doing and they think as long as china doesn't do that it's going to leave the rest of the world in a jam yeah at the same time china is defining politically the new world order they are doing this new uh healer in chief around the world helping mm. countries that they did damaged first mm. which is really ironic if china was you, you know uh honest enough to to tell the rest of the world what's going on and close their borders these poor countries or even these developed countries don't need their help they don't need their masks yeah. but because they gave us this uh mess and now they want to help us get out of the mess that they gave us in the first place to me it doesn't make sense mm. The, the, those are some of the tricky things that we have to face um, another time and uh, our politicians and our world leaders need to find some sort of common ground to collaborate in order to um, tackle things like this because this definitely won't be the last virus that we face yeah. and um, we've been predicting these viruses forever um, and it's essential that we find some sort of common ground or a board which functions better than the World Health Organization currently is because it's, it's been failing us and it has failed us significantly this time around and plenty of people have perished and lost their livelihoods and their lives as a result of this. So uh, it's very interesting what's going to happen in the next couple of months or couple of years and see how this kind of progresses because that's going to determine how we how we we equipping ourselves for the next phase of this or for the next virus which attacks us um what would you say would be the greatest lesson that humanity would take from this pandemic you know i i thought you asked me all the tough questions but i guess you left <laughs> i left the tough one to the last one yeah <laughs> i realized we got 3 minutes left so let me just hit you with the one big question i think the first lesson and i uh i wrote a column about it in korea times is it's going to make it very hard for us to elect officials moving forward yeah i think the trust uh, with the officials mm-hmm. that elected have failed us mm-hmm. and they lied to us and i think the people on this earth will never forgive them would never forget that especially for those who lost live ones I understand if somebody is very old and die dies but if this person dies and you can't say your final goodbyes or this person dies by themselves and you can't even see the body and you can't bury them and now as you saw today we are burying mass graves in New York yes i think those people we are all human we have hearts we have compassion but many of our politicians crossed that line and i think you will see the elections moving forward all these different parties all these politics it's going to be different because now there is a complete distrust yeah and i hope i really hope that something good comes out of it i really hope but with many of fatalities people who died uh because as an example Boris Johnson didn't have the balls to close the borders for a country that's an island 
that's easy to manage because you don't have land borders. Yeah. I I thought that was a fatal a fatal thing politically. Yeah. That's that's a that's a beautiful way of answering that question because I'm of the belief as well that um, our politicians and our world leaders have greatly failed us, but. Um, they, to me, the the ray of light that's come out of this is the hard work and the sacrifice of our healthcare workers and um, those in those in um, sort of um, working in the essential jobs um, that's required during these times. All of the people that are working in the stores, our nurses, our doctors, our physicians, and absolutely everyone that works in the hospitals that's been helping out and people coming out of retirement only to pass away a couple of weeks after. There's been a couple of horrendous stories here in the newspapers where doctors have come out of retirement wanting to give their all, wanting to sort of like stay true and loyal to their profession and then losing their lives a couple of weeks after. So those are the people that truly should be rewarded. And after this, I hope something does happen. I hope there's a serious investigation that takes place and these people are getting rewarded for the hard work and sacrifice that they've put. Um, They're almost like frontline soldiers in a war, if you look at it. And here in the UK, everyone's kind of been showing their appreciation for the NHS workers. But um, the part played by the leaders has been atrocious in most part. And now it's almost like they're chasing their tails, trying to solve a problem which they could have prevented to an extent. So... That's the lesson that I'll take out of this. I just hope that we're able to reward those who are worthy of rewarding and scrutinise and look into those who have helped propagate and push this um, issue even further and made it worse than what it is. Um, Dr. Hakim Jabala, I truly appreciate your time. This Well, it's afternoon here in the UK. I'm guessing, is it morning or early afternoon there? What's it's, the time? It's, uh, it's, it's actually early early afternoon here early afternoon yeah i, I truly appreciate the, the hour that you've offered me here today and um i'm grateful for the knowledge that you've been able to share with myself and my audience i've learned quite a lot within this period of time and i hope that we can sit back sit down in a couple of months time when all of this is all over and have a, another chat just to discuss the changes that are taking place and what we can do better going forward as well so i truly appreciate your time and thank you for coming on this yep. to humans podcast and sharing with us yeah. Happy to, as long as the Gunners don't beat my United. <laughs> no, no, good to contact next time we beat you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to send you a couple of posts. So enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so thank much you. for all your time. Stay safe. Stay safe. Take right, care. Thank you. I've